We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 21st. Wait, what? (laughs) 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 I I enjoyed that. (laughs) Yeah, please keep that in. Episode 21, Second Star to the Right. The air date for this episode was May 5th, 2013. The writers were (sighs) Chambliss and Goldberg, but it is our last episode with these two knuckleheads. Yay! Yay! Well, they give up some decent food on the way out, apparently. That is the word on the street. <laughs> the the broken dr- clock, all that. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, because they were right about this one and uh, The Shepherd. There you go, twice a day. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Those were their two episodes. That was the two times that the broken clock was right. That's right. So the director of this episode was Ralph Haymaker, and the title card features Big Ben. We begin just moments after Rumpelstiltskin lets his son slip through the portal and Bellfire face plants in the land without magic. There he gets to his feet and calls for his father, bewildered by his surroundings, as he is almost run over by a horse-drawn carriage. When he looks up, he sees a plaque on a stone pillar that reads, Kensington Gardens. And far off through the fog, he spies the shadows of people walking. A bell chimes and Balefire turns his head as Big Ben tolls the time. Bay is an Arthur meme that's like, this doesn't mean anything to me because I can't read. (laughs) (laughs) Six months after his arrival into Edwardian London, Balefire has become a vagrant and is searching through garbage in search of food. Riff raff, street rat, I don't buy that. Just a little snack, guys. Oh my God, I cannot sing worth shit, but I'm going to make you all suffer because that's who he reminds me of. When all he manages to find is a half-eaten apple, Balefire decides to sneak into the home of an upper-middle-class family. Inside the home, he finds three loaves of bread, one of which he begins to scarf down. Ugh, why a CGI house, though? My dudes. Edwardian architecture is not an open plan. The reception room does not lead into the dining room. And this just makes me see fucking red. You all cannot even imagine how many books I own dedicated to the everyday life in Victorian and Edwardian society. Even books strictly on the architecture of that era. (sighs) Yes, I'm a nerd. And yes, this bothers me. Mm. Also, there are so many beautiful homes in Vancouver. I mean, look at what they found for Mr. Gold's house. Yeah. Also, his feet don't touch the ground when he runs to get the bread. Fun fact. Oh, God. (laughs) He also eats the bread in a way I've never seen bread eaten before. But that isn't CGI's fault. He kind of becomes Cookie Monster. He does become (laughs) Cookie Monster. He eats that bread like Cookie Monster. I guess I have seen it before. Just, yeah, just with like the the flapping lips and the crumbs just spraying wildly around it. That would have been hilarious, though, if that was the direction. They're like, eat it like Cookie Monster. And he's like, will do, sir. Okay. I mean, like, he's like, you're you're really hungry. And he's like, I'm really hungry. This is this is how we do it. A dog sees Balefire eating the bread and barks at him. A young girl comes into the parlor, sees the thief, and picks up a sculpture to use as a weapon. She demands to know what the intruder wants. He tells the girl that he didn't mean any harm, and the girl can see that Balefire is hungry, so she offers him all three loaves. She asks his name, and he tells her that his name is Bay, and in return, she tells him that her name is Wendy Darling, and she is a sweet Wendy Darling at that. 
we appreciate that she was absolutely stone cold going to straight up murder him with a statue? <laughs> Wendy Darling is Miss Fuck Around and Find Out. And I love that for her. I love this Wendy. Mm-hmm. Both her and Bay are, are so precious. We return to Storybrooke where Neil is laying in a bed, sprawled out, face down. And he wakes to see, like, full-on starfish. <laughs> and he wakes to see it is only 6 a.m. And Tamara is dressed, preparing for a run. Neil asks his fiance if they can sleep in, but she retorts that her marathon is in three weeks and she needs to train. Liar! Liar! <laughs> Neil tells her that if she comes to bed, he'll give her a workout. <laughs> like in the most, like, he's not going to be good for anything tone of voice though <laughs> yeah i know like you yeah, said oh, no. that i'm like honey he's... will you because he's just like oh, no, yeah he he's saying this here. while his head is fully underneath a pillow yeah, yeah like like, o- like ostrich in the sand style it's like sure, sure jan and tamara laughs it off and kisses neil goodbye i'm like hell yeah i want to work out with neil <laughs> 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 also i'm sorry for the 180 but i freaking love that wallpaper I think this is a different room than last week. Or do I just not remember this wallpaper being so fucking cute? Because I thought they were in a green room and now they're in a pink room with flowers. I don't know. Oh, I think they've always been a pink room with flowers, but now I don't remember at all. So I have no idea. Uh, I will freely admit to never having paid attention to the wallpaper. I think I just, I just love pink. Yeah, gr- granny's, yeah. Granny's place is like super cottagecore cute. So well, she's got to have something redeeming, I guess. Neil tries to go back to sleep, but is woken up by shouting outside, specifically his father. Down on the street, in front of the rabbit hole, Mr. Gold and Lacey stand over Dr. Whale as Mr. Gold pressures Dr. Whale to kiss the bottom of his shoe as punishment for looking at Lacey. And what the fuck are these idiots doing up at six in the goddamn morning? I can only assume that they're just heading home. Like, Lacey doesn't really strike me as a morning person. And, you know, I should know, 6 a.m. used to be my bedtime. But Jesus... I don't generally enjoy the whole gold and lacy our sexy times revolve around me beating people to death with my cane thing, but the world probably would have been fine if gold had stomped whale because yeah. <laughs> he sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Neil comes up from behind Mr. Gold and pulls him off Dr. Whale, who scurries away from the situation. I love that Neil's like, go run. He's like, yeah. And he just slinks off what like the mollusk he is. <laughs> Mr. Gold tells his son that it does not concern him, and Neil tells his father that he is surprised that he did not turn him into a snail. Lacey, unaware of magic and Neil's past, does not understand what Neil means by that. Mr. Gold hands over the keys to his shop to Lacey and asks her to wait for him inside. Once Lacey is out of sight, Neil gives his father a piece of his mind, telling his father that after years of searching for him, he disappeared and does not seem to care about anything going on in Neil's life, such as meeting Tamara. Preach, boy, preach. Seriously, way to continue to be a shitty dad, Mr. Gold. Mr. Gold tells Neil that the relationship will not work because Neil still has feelings for Emma. Neil tells his father that he was wrong when he thought that he might be worth his time. Mr. Gold snaps back, and yet you're still here. But Neil corrects his father's assumption, emphasizing that he is only there in Storybrooke for Henry, and Mr. Gold can stay the hell away from them from now on. Snaps to Neil. You are the only character with boundaries in this show, and I applaud you, sir. Don't get me wrong. I love me a chaotic man-child monster like Rumple, but I am not going to make excuses for him, especially when Neil, Balefire, was the whole point of the curse. Like, this is some serious missed opportunities here, and I'll rant about it later post-up. Yeah. Seriously, Mr. Gold, why would you go through everything just to have no time for Neil? 
poor Neil. I'm sorry your dad continues to just let you down, man. Meanwhile, Emma and David walk into Regina's mayoral office with guns cocked and loaded, ready to shoot. When they see that Regina is nowhere on the premise, they tell Mary, Margaret, and Henry to come in. Henry asks Emma if she plans to hurt Regina after she finds her. Emma says that she only wants the magic beans that Regina stole. Not the beans. The beans. The beans. Watered us and stole our beans. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Margaret questions why Regina would leave her office unlocked, and it becomes even more suspicious when David discovers the terrarium holding the stock. When Mary Margaret takes a closer look, she sees that the beans have been harvested. Emma grows concerned, considering Regina would not leave evidence like this behind. Hmm. <laughs> and, and, and she would <laughs> I'm just really enjoying this journey you're having <laughs> well I mean I mean, I mean has a, she married her it's a I mean, fair journey yeah. I'm glad you think so highly of her Emma but yeah yeah but she does have a fair point that Regina would not have used the beans to leave without Henry yeah that is fair Emma checks the security system in Regina's office, and it reveals that the last time someone was in the office was at six that morning, and that whoever used it used an override code to get into the office. Mary Margaret asks Emma if she believes someone else took the beans. Emma says that they have not found Regina, so it is likely. Mary Margaret then tells Emma that the only one in town capable of overpowering Regina is Mr. Gold, but Emma doubts this because of Mr. Gold's preoccupation with Lacey. Uh, not to mention that I really don't think Gold gives two shits about returning to the Enchanted Forest or stopping anyone else from going, considering that Neil would absolutely never return there, willingly. Emma tells her parents that this was not the doing of Mr. Gold, but Tamara. Mary Margaret tells Emma that she has already gone down that road and it's time for her to let it go. We all need to stop gaslighting, Emma. I don't like this trend. Mm -hmm. It's like, yo, trust your daughter. She has really good fucking instincts. Mm -hmm. Emma tells Mary Margaret that August was attacked the day Tamara came to town and that she doesn't believe it was a coincidence. Emma tells Mary Margaret and David to see if Mr. Gold has something that can help locate Regina. Meanwhile, Emma plans on searching Tamara's room again. In a seafood cannery down at the Storybrook docks, Greg and Tamara have set up their headquarters where they have Regina strapped to a table. This is a place of business, sir, ma'am. Get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, where, where are the where, fucking where fishermen? The <laughs> you know what? I think I know why that was working there. It's because Cora turned that four fishermen into the fish. Well, surely he was now he's living his best one who worked fish the, life. It takes more than one person to run a goddamn factory. Yeah, but he had the keys. Yeah. He had the keys. So everyone's just locked out. That's what you're you're going with. Is yeah. The workers aren't there because he was the only one who had the keys and they're all just like, God damn it, what happened to Jerry? I guess Jerry he had a vacation. Maybe they're all just like really in intense therapy with Archie. Mm -hmm. because like you know they're trying to like cope with like being two people at once and they're like i don't know man what's the point of this job like who's cutting our paychecks what's the point <laughs> of going every day yeah exactly who are we canning these fish for what's the point yeah <laughs> greg asked tamara if she got into regina's office and she confirms that she did she shows greg what she snatched while in regina's office two magic beans Tamara tells Greg what Neil told her regarding magic beans, that they can open portals. When Greg shows signs of jealousy, Tamara tells him that as soon as they are done, her engagement to Neil is over. 
He shows Tamara a jewel that Regina had on her before they captured her. She puts the jewel into her pouch and tells Greg that their home office will have a field day with all of the items they're sending them. These two would be so intriguing if I didn't already know where this leads and therefore I do not give a damn. (laughs) Yeah, their plot almost gets interesting and like Tamara starts monologuing about like magic being unholy, but then like, uh, eh, this plot, it just goes, it goes into nowhere. Kind of nowhere. I don't know. There's there's so little substance for their storyline. And it could have been so much better because Greg could be of such a tragic character. His, yeah. his childhood is very tragic. Yeah. Tamara, she's ruthless, but also doesn't like fully hate Neil. And she she says these things like, oh, magic's unholy. It's like, what's that about? Yeah, I don't like, I, I'm I not going to learn much more. No, and I honestly don't think Tamara hates Neil. No, I, I don't think she hates Neil either. Mm-mm. Meanwhile, Hook brings his hook closer to Regina's face, and she tells him that whatever they're offering him is not worth it. Hook tells her that they are offering him the ability to kill Rumpelstiltskin, which is worth it. Regina asks Hook if he actually trusts them and proceeds to laugh at his foolishness for not knowing who he is working for. And she's got a point. Well, he's a big dumb dumb though. Yeah, this is true. Like we've discussed this. He's pretty, not smart. Yeah. Greg enters with an electronic box of sorts. It kind of looks like the machine from Return to Oz. In (laughs) fact, pretty much exactly the machine from Return to Oz because it serves the same purpose. (laughs) Regina asks Greg if this is part of his mission. Greg straps Regina to his machine and tells her that it is a separate matter from his mission, a personal matter. He tells Regina that this is about his father, but Regina once again states that she allowed him to leave town. Greg questions why his father would not search for his only son and prepares to enable his machine. He asks Hook for help, but Hook tells him that he will not help until they plan on killing Rumpelstiltskin and will not participate in torturing Regina before leaving. He, in fact, tells Hook to lend him a hand, preferably his good one, which is like, wow, that's hilarious, you sack crap. Mm-hmm. Like, no wonder he just fucking leaves. Yeah. Rude. It's like, mm, I'm outie. I thought you were going to be a bastard about it. You bitches can walk home. <laughs> you bitches can walk home. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's the Regina George, you bitches can watch co moment. <laughs> As Greg rigs up his machine, Regina asks if it is supposed to frighten her and Greg replies that it should. After he connects the queen to the machine via wires and leads, Greg again asks Regina where his father is, and when Regina doesn't answer him, he fires up the machine. In the darling household of the past, Wendy has been hiding Balefire from her parents by keeping him in the nursery's crawl space. One night, Wendy brings Balefire some leftovers for him to eat. Balefire holds the food up to his face and inhales deeply before asking Wendy if her parents have any suspicions. And Wendy tells him that they are adults and cannot see anything that is not right in front of them. Unbeknownst to the both of them, Wendy's parents have eavesdropped on their entire conversation. Wendy's father, George, asks her how long she has been keeping Billfire in their home. Wendy admits that he has been staying there for a couple of weeks, but says that he was living on the street before and she brought him into their home. George then asks Billfire where his family is, and he tells them that his mother died and lies about his father being dead as well. I mean, he's dead to him. Yeah, (laughs) true facts. Balefire prepares to leave, but Wendy's mother, Mary Darling, shows sympathy for the boy and welcomes him to her home, much to George's shock. I love Mary Darling so much. Yeah, she has like 45 seconds of screen time, but she like feels like such a, like a, like a full and like well-lived in character in those like 45 seconds. Like she's great. 
I don't know. I'm very charmed by the darlings. They're nice little side characters right here in this story. Mm -hmm. We return to Storybrooke where Emma shows up at Neil and Tamara's room at Granny's bed and breakfast to search the room for real. Emma notices that Tamara is not there. Neil tells her that Tamara's out running and asks her what she suspects Tamara of this time. Emma tells him that Regina has gone missing. Neil still believes that Emma is being ridiculous by suspecting Tamara of any villainy. Emma walks over to Tamara's things and asks Neil where she went running and how long she has been gone. Neil answers that she left to run in the woods a couple of hours ago. Around Tamara's shoes, there are traces of sand, and Emma questions Neil as to why sand would be tracked if she ran in the woods. Neil tells Emma that she probably just wanted to run on the beach instead, but Emma says that if Tamara lied about something insignificant, then she may have lied about something else as well. Neil tells Emma that Tamara might just like to run on the beach, but Emma says that they need to investigate. Neil is being extremely level-headed about all of this, like just straight up indulgent of Emma's need to investigate every little detail about Tamara. Emma's like, sand, it's coarse and it gets everywhere and I hate it. And Neil is all Billy Wonka. This suspense is terrible. I hope it'll last. He's a sport. <laughs> he really is. Like, he's just like, oh, look at you. You're just so cute being all mad and huffy and investigating <laughs> and questioning my fiance's every little move. Like, Shut up, I'm right. <laughs> and then and like, like, oh, bless her. She'll wear herself out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> She'll get tired. We return to Edwardian in London. The darling children, Wendy, John, and Michael, are crowded around their bedroom window, awaiting the return of a presence that they call the shadow. Wendy invites Balefire to come and wait for it with them. Balefire is slightly concerned and asks Wendy what this shadow is and when it came. Wendy tells him that around the time Balefire came to their home, a shadow came flying to their window, a shadow that was not attached to a human body. She tells him that this shadow can travel between worlds and change its shape because it's magic. Balefire is immediately wary, warning the children that all magic comes with a price. He pleads with them not to open the window to the shadow ever again. Wendy sees this as a ludicrous demand, and John tells Balefire that he is just saying that because he is a non-believer. But Balefire asserts that he does believe in magic and has seen it because he comes from another land, a land abundant with magic. Wendy is intrigued by this and tells Balefire that a land like that sounds wonderful. Balefire corrects her and says it is not, as magic is the reason he left. He adds that magic is what destroyed his family, and he does not want it to destroy hers as well. After hearing this, Wendy promises that she will stay away from the shadow. You know, like a liar. <laughs> yeah. We return to Storybrooke where Mary Margaret and David burst into Mr. Gold's shop as he and Lacey are enjoying a drink. It's like 9 a.m. and they're drinking scotch. Not a mimosa or a Bloody Mary in sight. Animals. Fucking animals. <laughs> Snowing apologizes for interrupting. Kind of. And remind Mr. Gold that the shop is not closed from them. Mary Margaret explains that Regina is missing and likely in danger. Just the way I like her, Mr. Gold says, trying to make his disinterest clear. Rumpelstiltskin, you're a crappy dad. Go find your shitty daughter. Jesus Christ. Yeah, really? <laughs> it's like, dude, come on, get, get out there. Like, she is your problem. You were like, the DNA test never came through. Come on. <laughs> like, even if she's not, you adopted her. This is still clearly your mess. Go deal mm -hmm. with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. However, David tells Mr. Gold that despite his feelings about Regina, he still owes Charming a favor. Charming. Honey. Don't waste your favor on Regina. 
Good Lord. For real though. I mean, I look at it as him spending his favor on his wife because I mean, this it's very sweet. It's but, very sweet. And it's all for Mary Margaret's peace of mind. But still, <laughs> you could have cashed that in for anything. I know. Resigned. Mr. Gold asks Lacey to excuse him so he can attend to his business. I love that he holds his hand out so she can hop down off the display case. And then he hands her a glass of scotch before she marches off to the back room, giving Snow and Charming the most withering stare. (laughs) It's just like, girl, I know. Also, if I was Lacey, I'd be real sick real quick of constantly being told by Mr. Gold to like leave him and go to another room so he can have conversations. Like it happens twice in this episode and we're not even like halfway in. I mean, she does kind of like look pretty annoyed at this this time. "Mm, Like, mm." mm, gonna have to beat up a lot of people to make up for this. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gold tells them that he can find something to help locate Regina. But first he wants to know why they would want to help the evil queen. For real. Mary Margaret says that she owes it to Regina because of what she did to her mother, Cora. Mr. Gold snarks to never underestimate the power of a guilty conscience. Mr. Gold then procures a vial which contains one of Regina's tears. I love that sweet snow is like, why do you have that? And he's like, ha, because I do. I just imagine Rumpelstiltskin being pestered into babysitting a toddler Regina and being really put out about it. And he just kind of kicks her off of a little rocking horse and snatches one of her tears. <laughs> like just just for the shiggles of it, you know? <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that so much more than just the fact that he took the tear after like mocking her at the end of Queen of Hearts when he's like, ha ha, they didn't invite you to dinner. <laughs> Oh, God. He's such a bad father. <laughs> Either way, it's yeah. <laughs> In order for his magic to work, he will also need a tear of Mary Margaret's. So he holds the vial up to Mary Margaret, who cries a single tear. Once the tears have been combined, once the tears have been combined, the liquid glows, and he instructs Mary Margaret that for the magic to work, she has to drop the tear into her eye, which will connect her to whatever Regina is experiencing. Sounds like an eye infection waiting to happen. Yeah, for real though. I'm like, ooh, she's going to get a sty from that vial. Mm-hmm. Conjunctivitis, you know? Full on staph infection. Oof. David asks Mr. Gold how long the spell lasts. And Mr. Gold tells him that it will last long enough to find Regina. Mr. Gold then tells him that his part of the bargain is fulfilled and tells him goodbye. After the Charmings leave, Lacey returns and tells Mr. Gold that she overheard the conversation in its entirety. She states that it's true. That he can do magic. Yeah, baby. He can do magic in bed. Bonk, bonk, chill. Oh, no. (laughs) Beep, beep, Richie. Beep, beep, chill. (laughs) Mr. Gold tells her to pour herself another drink. At the loft, David tries to prove to Mary Margaret that she does not need to take it upon herself to host the spell given to them by Mr. Gold. But Mary Margaret says that she needs to do it to lighten her heart that was darkened as a result of killing Cora. David nods his head and then uses an eyedropper to give Mary Margaret the tear. Once in her eye, Mary Margaret screams and contorts as she feels Regina being tortured by Greg's electroshock machine. I do love Snow, but she does have a martyr complex and I really hope that she grows out of it. It's unhealthy and it's just not good for her. Well, I mean, the clowns that rode it the most are on their way out, so. (laughs) We're back in Edwardian London. Balefire awakens and finds that Wendy has broken her promise as she sits by the window welcoming the shadow into the bedroom. 
My God, Wendy, did he fucking stutter? <laughs> Seriously, Wendy. Also, this child has loving parents. She knows she does, but she's all, there's no grown-ups there in Neverland, hurrah. And because the writers diverted from the traditional story, there's no reason that they have given or shown us for Wendy to be mad at her parents and desperate to, like, get away from them, you know? Mm-mm. That's weird. It's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. And, and I, this is, like, one of my many but bigger complaints about once upon a time is that like they have these IPs, right. That they can just fucking cherry pick from, but like they don't do a, a few of them service, you know, like, and, Oh yeah, no, that's for goddamn sure. And with Peter Pan, there are aspects of it that they do very well. And there are some aspects where they don't do it very much justice at all. And while I do love the casting of this Wendy, I don't feel like overall that they do very much with her, like they should have or could have. Yeah. I mean, I won't get into it because I feel like that's a lot of season three stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. there's some good season three stuff, but I won't, I won't go into it. Yeah, um, oh yeah. But I think they should have had her just so fascinated with like adventure and magic and like be like, that's why she wants to go. She yeah, wants to exactly. see that magic. She wants to see the mermaids. She wants to see the fairies. Yeah, I, I think no grown-ups aspect is a weird thing. It's a weird thing because yeah. they had already laid the foundations that she's interested in magic. She wants to know more about magic. Exactly. And yeah. they should have just edited out that line about the grown-ups because I'm like you're fine with grown-ups in no capacity has that been shown you know like your mom rocks what are you yeah. talking about <laughs> yeah I mean and to be fair in the book her mom is always like the better of the two it's like oh, oh yeah gosh. no it's always her dad who's the unreasonable pe- piece of shit just being yeah. like Wendy needs to grow up even though she's 10. She has to come out of the nursery. Right, exactly. Also, I'm putting the dog out for no good goddamn reason. Right. I'm a dick. I work at the bank. Rump, rump, rump. Right. I mean, there is a deleted scene where when they're sitting at dinner, Wendy is asked twice to stop reading a book because she refuses claiming she's at the part where an apprentice is about to cast a spell. So like, you know, again, magic. Faye tries to get Wendy away from the shadow, but she explains that the shadow is from a land with magic, but a land different from Balefire's land. Wendy tells Bay that the land is called Neverland and children never grow old and that there are no grown-ups. Whatever, Wendy. <laughs> the shadow grabs onto Wendy's hand and prepares to fly away with her. Bay tries to keep her inside, but to no avail, and the shadow soon flies away with her. Wendy, goddammit, you're willfully starring in a horror movie. Like, on purpose. What <laughs> in the world? She has the white privilege confidence of a final girl. Uh, back in Storybrooke, Emma takes Neil to the beach to look for Tamara. Neil asks Emma if she really believes Tamara is keeping Regina in a sandcastle, <laughs> and then claims that her emotions are clouding her judgment. <sighs> Emma then tells Neil that although it was hurtful that he never came looking for her and found Tallahassee with someone else, this is not about breaking him up with Tamara. To their surprise, Tamara happens to run up to them while running on the beach. She explains to Neil that she starts in the woods but later runs on the beach, like loops around. Emma tells Tamara that Regina is missing, and Tamara seems legitimately concerned and tells Emma to let her know if she can be of any assistance. When Emma gets ready to leave the beach, Neil tells her that he wanted to go to jail for her, but August talks him into letting her go. He also apologizes that he was afraid that Emma would never forgive him because he never forgave himself. He then apologizes to Emma for everything he has done to her. 
Oh my God, marry him. He's <laughs> such a good man. Fine. Fuck it. I'll marry him. He's my man now. Yeah. Congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. I it's... hope we are allowed to come to your wedding. Absolutely. I love Neil you, is Neil. pretty much the best. Tamara gets back to the seafood cannery where she and Greg are holding Regina hostage. And she tells Greg that Emma and Neil do not suspect anything and believe that she was just running on the beach. Greg tells Tamara that Regina is not cooperating, but he says that that's all about to change. Regina seizes in pain as Greg turns the machine back on. Regina tells them that they are fools in over their heads stealing magic. Tamara laughs when Regina says that they are trying to steal magic. Instead, she corrects her and says that they are in Storybrooke to destroy it because according to Tamara, magic is unholy. But isn't Jesus kind of magic? I don't know. I'm a filthy pagan. What do I know? I mean, basically. Yeah. yeah. Regina tells them that two people cannot destroy magic alone, but Greg claims they are not alone. He tells her that after he departed from Storybrooke, most people did not believe his stories of magic, but some did. Greg tells her that their organization has destroyed magic before and that they will do it again because Storybrooke is not the first time magic crossed over into this world. Greg then turns his machine on to torture Regina further. Meanwhile, after Mary Margaret co-experiences the electroshock with Regina, David rouses her. Mary Margaret, clearly bewildered, tells David that whatever just happened to her was the worst pain she has ever felt and that Regina is powerless in her current situation. David asks her if she could see where Regina was or who was holding her hostage. Mary Margaret does not recall any of that and only remembers the extreme pain. David tells Mary Margaret that even a small detail could help find Regina. Mary Margaret then tells him that she could feel that she was strapped down and smelled sardines. David then calls Emma to relay to her what Mary Margaret experienced via the teardrop magic. Emma happens to walk the seafood cannery, and when David mentions that Mary Margaret remembers smelling sardines, Emma jumps to the conclusion that Tamara is holding Regina hostage there. Back in at Doherty in London, the morning after Wendy's departure to Neverland, she returns back through her bedroom window and wakes up Bay. Wendy asks him how long she was gone, and Bay tells her that it was just for the night. Wendy tells him that time works differently in Neverland, an island that, according to Wendy, has mermaids, fairies, and no adults to tell children what to do. But she also tells Bay that at night, all the children start to cry for their parents, but the shadow will not let them leave, and that the reason it is called Neverland is because once you step foot on its soil, you can never leave. Bay then asks how she managed to escape if no one else could. Wendy reveals that the shadow let her go because he wanted a boy, so he is coming back to take one of her brothers in her stead. Bay assures her that the shadow will not, because he will not let anything bad happen to her or her family. You're a good kid, Bay. Oh no, he's the best. Back in Storybrooke, Mr. Gold has told Lacey that he can do magic, and is now showing her by changing the color of a potion bottle. Lacey asks him why he did not tell her sooner, and Mr. Gold says that it is because magic comes with a price, and that it usually drives away the people he cares about. Lacey then says that he must have been caring about the wrong people, and then asks him to show her what else he can do. He smiles before summoning a necklace for her, saying that he can do anything. One of the perks that comes along with being the Dark One. 
And by the way, the necklace is the same necklace that Belle dreamt when she had her nightmare earlier this season. Lacey guesses that immortality must be one of the perks, asking if Mr. Gold could keep her young, to which Mr. Gold answers yes. Lacey says that that is true, then they can live together forever. But Mr. Gold contradicts this slightly by telling Lacey that immortality doesn't mean that he cannot be killed. He tells her that there is a prophecy that someone might be his undoing. Lacey tells Mr. Gold that if he knows who it is, then he should just kill him. But Mr. Gold tells her that something is standing in his way. Lacey endorses child murder, I guess. You leave Henry alone, old man. I mean, to be fair, Lacey doesn't know that the person in question is a child. True. Probably wouldn't care, though. Maybe not. But I'm just saying, in in her being devil's advocate here, sure, she'd be like, "Oh, have a child." Abundance of morals. <laughs> Couldn't it just be anyone. Can you just like kill Doctor Whale or something? I know, right? I mean, that'd be fine. <laughs> Lacey says that she thought he was a man who would not let anything stand in his way, and Mr. Gold roughly pulls her towards him and softly proclaims that he is that kind of man. Hot. I'm into it. Bonk bonk. <laughs> beep 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 beep. Bonk bonk. Horny jail. Do not collect $200. Nope. Go straight to jail. (laughs) Emma and Neil are now looking for Regina around the docks. Emma asks Neil if he will have her back if Tamara is keeping Regina there. And Neil agrees that if Tamara is hiding Regina here in her evil lair by the docks, he will have her back. Oh, bless him. Emma hears a noise, but discovers that it is Mary Margaret and David searching for Regina as well. David hands Emma a walkie-talkie so that they can stay in contact. Emma tells David and Mary Margaret to search the basement while she and Neil will investigate the main floor. Meanwhile, in Tamara and Greg's evil layer of evil. And fish. <laughs> and fish. And, and sardines. Their fishy layer. Oh! Oh, Lord. <laughs> Yay! Tamara can see on her monitors that the four heroes have found out where she and Greg are holding Regina. She tells Greg that they have been found out and that they need to go. Greg refuses to leave now, especially when he is on the verge of finding out the truth about his father from Regina, reminding Tamara that his father is the reason they know about this town in the first place. Tamara tells him to meet her at the rendezvous point and leaves him in fear of being discovered. Greg revs up the machine to full capacity and gives Regina one last chance to tell him where his father is. This time, Regina agrees to tell the truth. She tells Greg that his father is dead. She admits to killing Kurt after Greg ran away. Greg doesn't believe Regina is being honest with him. However, Regina tells him that if he wants proof, then he should dig at his father's campsite, the place where Regina buried the body. Regina tells him to kill her and that she just wanted to see the look on his face when he found out the truth. As soon as Greg turns the machine back on, Regina screams in agony. Really, no one in this scene is a good person. No. No. It also gave me very like Princess Bride. Not to 50. Oh, it's very, yeah, it's very Princess Bride. <laughs> Not to 50. Not to 50. Except Regina is no Wesley. After Mary wishes her children and Balefire a good night, God damn it, she used a switch, a fucking light switch, an electric switch. I am going to fucking scream. Mary like I hear a distinct the click. electric light. <laughs> she no. did it. She invented electricity. She's that did. Good. I saw it. I read it in a history book. I saw it at the Carousel of Progress at Disney World. <laughs> oh my God. The four children begin to make their bedroom shadowproof. Bay, after locking the bedroom window, tells the darlings that the shadow won't take anyone. Wendy thanks him before they all get into their beds. 
The lesson that they really think this home alone tomfoolery will work on an incorporeal shape. Mm. <laughs> it's very cute them prepping though. I mean, it is, but they like are putting like tiddlywinks on like the windowsill. Like that's <laughs> gonna do jack shit. It's like, oh, no. oh, bless your heart. None of their precautions work. No. <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> no. No. What the hell you say? <laughs> Because as soon as they get into their beds, the shadow manages to open their window and get in. Bellfire tells the children to hide in the crawl space, but Michael stays outside. Their dog, Nana, barks at the shadow, which at least temporarily stops him from taking Michael. Bay runs out from the crawl space and offers himself to the shadow to keep his promise to Wendy that he won't let anything happen to her or her family. Wendy tries to hold on to Bay, but it proves futile because the shadow still takes him after Bay thanks Wendy for making him part of her family. The shadow flies Bay over the homes of London and eventually takes Bellfire to Neverland through the second star to the right. Poor Bay. All these kids were precious. I'm so instantly attached to these darling children, and I wish Bay could have had a happy childhood here with them for more than just a few weeks. Damn you, Peter Pan's shadow. You're a life ruiner. Mm-hmm. Poor Bay. Poor Bay. Flash forward to Storybrooke, where Greg proceeds to torture Regina and tells her that this is the end for her. He tells her that she won't hurt anyone ever again, and when he is about to shock her again, David finds him and shoots his machine. David casts gun. It's very effective. (laughs) It's the strongest spell. Are you prepared to meet God? (laughs) (laughs) Greg runs out of his lair and is chased by David, but Mary Margaret stops to tell him that Regina is near death. David rushes over to Regina, telling Mary Margaret that they need to bring her to Mother Superior. Or like the hospital? Dr. Whale? No? The, the Blue Fairy? Sure. Okay. Dr. Whale is a drunken dumbass and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> he did save Greg though after drunken after dumbassing. <laughs> yeah. David communicates with Emma via what their walkie-talkies and tells her that she needs to block the exits. David tells her that they found Regina and that Greg is coming her way. Neil tells Emma that he was right about it not being Tamara. When he turns his back, Emma is head over the head with a crowbar. By Tamara. Shock. <laughs> Who tells Neil that she and Greg are working together. She aims Emma's gun at Neil and he asks her what she is doing. Tamara tells him that magic doesn't belong here and he of all people should understand her cause. Neil asks Tamara how long she has been lying and she confesses that she has been lying since she spilled coffee on him. Shell-shocked, Neil realizes their whole relationship has been a lie as Tamara tells him that her job is more important and admits that she never loved him. Neil's like, yeah, I know magic is the worst, but that's still no excuse to lie to me. No excuse. Neil leaves to tell the others, but Tamara shoots him in the process. Just when she prepares to injure him fatally, Emma jumps in and kicks the gun out of Tamara's hand. You hurt my bae? You hurt my bae? I don't think so. Emma just kicking the gun is glorious and i love her it's very xena warrior princess when she yeah. like comes in Ugh, love it the women are toe to toe and fist to fist before emma finally knocks tamara to the ground giving her enough time to grab tamara's gun in a last ditch attempt to get away tamara grabs one of the magic beans and opens a portal between emma and neil before fleeing emma grabs onto a duct but neil cannot get up because of the, his gunshot wound emma leaps down and they catch one another The portal widens and Neil falls into it, but Emma catches him just in time. Neil tells her to let go, but Emma says that if he falls through the portal, he will die of the gunshot wound. Neil tells Emma that if she does not let go, she will come through the portal with him, and he doesn't want Henry to grow up an orphan like they did. 
No, she won't. Emma is buff as hell. She can lift all of Storybrooke. She can lift him up out of a hole. Yeah, and she doesn't let him go because she's a hero, damn it. She won't let go of Neil's hand, and I have a lot of feelings. I do as well. Emma tells Neil that she loves him, which Neil reciprocates before he lets go of her and falls into the portal. <laughs> My emotions, I am unwell. She needs to stop dropping this boy into vortexes. I'm sad. I know. Meanwhile, Greg digs ferociously at the place that was once his and his father's campsite to see if his father was indeed murdered by Regina. His shovel hits something hard in the soil, so Greg starts digging by hand. He soon uncovers not only his father's shirt, but also a skull. This episode is dark. They want murder town? I'll give a murder-topia. Poor sad dad, Kurt. He doesn't deserve this. In the Blanchard loft, Mother Superior heals Regina with her wand and tells David and Mary Margaret that now that the cuff which prevented her magic is off, she should be fine. And in time, her magic will return. Hooray. <laughs> is that a good thing? Kind of, right? Do we, it's like, wait, do we want that? I know. They just now, don't know. They they don't know with Regina. They're like, we guess we like her. She tries to kill us all the time, I, I, but I know, we're I'm also just, friends. I know. I'm kind of like... <laughs> I think we should just keep the cuff on and tell her that we were unable to get it off. They, they're the Lewis Black candy corn routine. I know I've referenced that before, but it feels very mm. applicable. Yeah, absolutely. Because each time they're like, like yeah, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's very uh, Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. Yeah. It is 100%. It's like, surely this time she will not yank the football away. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> Emma arrives at the apartment and tells them the bad news that Tamara killed Neil. Back in the past, now in Neverland, the shadow flies Bay over a large body of water. Bay lights a match before putting it in the shadow's face, which causes the shadow to drop him into the sea. The shadow cannot find Bay, so it retreats to the island. After floating for a while, a ship finds Bay and pulls him out of the water. The ship's captain, Captain Hook, welcomes the boy to the Jolly Roger. Poor Bay is so defeated. He's like, pirates too. Time to fall unconscious because I'm done with this. Yeah, this poor lad. This poor lad. He's had quite the day. He's had quite the day. Back at the loft, Regina awakens and realizes that Snow and Charming saved her. Despite our differences, we're family, says David. <laughs> Fucking golden retriever. Bless this beautiful dummy. Bless him right in his face. Dumb and handsome face beautiful stupid face regina asks about the whereabouts of greg and tamara and with dawning dread she realizes that they still have her detonator at the beginning of the scene charming kisses the side of emma's head and it's it's such a sweet dad thing and it's a lovely little moment in this episode and you're just like oh oh there's your dad juxtaposition to the bad dadding that mr gold does in this episode oh, yeah really <laughs> terrible father <laughs> Tamara finds Greg in the woods where he is burying his father. I love that he digs him up and then reburies him. And then puts just, him back. Just fuck. He's like, oh, well, I better put that back where I found it. So she shows him the brown diamond that he gave her for safekeeping. Tamara reveals that home office knew about it. A trigger, David exclaims, as we are now quickly back in the loft. Regina has revealed the purpose for her failsafe to them. They bicker about abandonment and destruction before Regina reminds them that the more pressing matter is that the trigger is out of her hands. 
God damn it, Regina. Them not letting you come on their family road trip is not the same thing as murdering a whole town. She's like, well, I was planning on murdering you again, but counterpoint, you didn't invite me on your vacation, so you deserved it. And and no, no, they didn't, Regina. Her selective hearing is literally going to be the death of them. <laughs> Quite literally in this yeah. case. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the forest, Tamara reveals that the home office wants her and Greg to move to the next phase of their mission. Destroy Storybrooke. End credits. Okay, am I crazy? Or was this a decent episode? Son of a bitch, those two dunderheads did it. This episode was jammed packed with everything but the kitchen sink and levels of action, feels, angst, a sprinkle of funny quips. Here are my fucking quibbles, though. We know that the Darling house has oil lamps because in the same goddamn scene, Mary Darling switches off the lights in the nursery. Bay lights a lamp. So the writers know. They fucking know. They know. But here's the thing. In early 20th century London, electricity was only in the households of the truly fuck-off wealthy. That's my only grape. Well, other than too much Greg and Tamara, but whatever, I'm invested because of Neil and Emma. And here's my thing with Tamara and Neil because she shoots him right but I don't ever think like she hated him or like had it out for him or anything like that but it's so funny because Neil fucking hates magic <laughs> like fucking hates it and I'm like Tamara you should have recruited him instead of like you know deceiving him I guess she she didn't know that he hated magic right because they didn't talk about it's magic true. Until, until they're in Storybrook. That's true, but I feel like she could have, like, I don't know, dropped hints. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just sort of like, I thought that would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. And in the hands of more capable writers, it could have been. Very true. This is very true. This plot could have gone somewhere. Yes, it doesn't someone. really. In the hands of the capable, but <laughs> <Yeah>. alas. <laughs> but alas, we were given this. But this this is where the plot goes, because it doesn't get much, much no, more this than this. It, but overall, this episode was honestly a pleasant surprise from Chambliss and Goldberg like they gave us a really solid episode as a parting gift so thanks guys this still doesn't make up for fruit of the poisonous tree nothing will Christ Mm -hmm. but I appreciate it all the same I think this worked very well as a penultimate episode for the season as a whole Mm -hmm. my favorite parts of the episode were probably the flashback because Bay and the, the darling children were precious I think all those child actors did a really great job. I also have many, many feels about Emma and Neil. Like Jennifer's palpable heartbreak when Neil let go of her hands so she can save herself. Like it made my heart hurt. Mm-hmm. This is definitely the most investive I've felt in an episode, you know, since like the Miller's daughter. Same. Yeah, I'm so weirded out by the fact that these two clowns wrote the best episode we've had in a while. Like it wasn't great, but it didn't make me need to hit my head against a wall like is this actually the best episode these dum-dums have written i think it might be i think so the one that we previously said was their best was the shepherd but i definitely think this one is even better than the shepherd the shepherd had more david though shepherd did have more david in that wig in that wig though in his silly (laughs) silly stupid little mop of a wig (laughs) bless his heart we had a funnier rumple in that one too we did yeah That's where the baby closet came from. <gasps> that is where the baby closet yeah. came from. <laughs> a classic. But yeah, I don't know. I guess thanks for giving us some good food on your way out, Chambliss and Goldberg. You know, kindly don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> <laughs>
one of them stays on the other one just crawls back to being a producer or whatever all right well whatever. we'll be watching you one that stays and writes we'll see how it goes with you on your own you're on thin fucking ice though pal i don't <laughs> think he is on his own i think he's always paired up with kalinda we like kalinda yeah andrew chambliss he's the only one who stays on with writing Eden goldberg goes back okay, to okay we'll see producer. we'll see how this combo goes i don't remember what episodes they did together all right, let's talk about costumes. I love Lacey's slinky black dress that she wears. It's from Bebe, and it's just the thing I would have worn in my 20s. I also really love Mary Margaret's robin egg blue sweater. Like, it looks so cozy and pretty. She looks like, like a little frost princess. Charming looks so sharp in his vest in this episode. I love it. It's a good charming look. I liked Wendy's little blouse and skirt combos. I thought they were sweet. Yeah, I would honestly wear Wendy's wardrobe in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Big same. Yeah. Her outfit's sweet. Her her nightgown's super cute, too. Mm-hmm. It's all, all winners. Speaking of which, it's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In Season 2, Episode 21, we have Freya Tingley. I'm going to assume that's how you say that, say that last name is Tingley. I think so. Freya Tingley as Wendy Darling. Australian actress Freya Tingley is mostly known for her roles in Hemlock Grove, Jersey Boys, No Way to Live, and Dota, Dragon's Blood. I did look up the two boys who played John and Michael, but they have like maybe just a couple credits to their names, but they were they were very good. They were precious. Mm -hmm, Very precious. They were were very cute. cute. These kids were so cute. I was like, oh my goodness, they're so cute. She does look a lot like um, the Wendy from the 2003 version. I can see that. There's some similar. There's, a, there's similar some similar. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the face. And then went on to be in the weird serial killer perfume movie. Oh, is oh. she in that movie? Yeah. She's, I love she's like the main girl in it. She's the main girl that he's like, oh, the ultimate one. And like is the one that he ultimately kills for his. But it's perfume. so funny because it's played by Ben Wishaw. Yeah, it's Ben and Wishaw. I'm like, and I'm like, oh, Ben. I remember it being a much better book than it made a movie. Oh, I never read the book. I just saw the movie because Ben Wishaw is one of my favorite actors. I remember I liked the book and that's why I saw the movie. And at that point, the only thing I knew Ben Wishaw from was... um, Nathan Barley. Nathan Barley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I haven't seen that. What's that? It's It's a really strange British comedy. It has pretty much everyone from the Mighty Boosh in it. It's okay. some capacity, some to more extent than others. Because others, like yeah. Noel Fielding's kind of got like a background role in it. Oh. Yeah. It's a very he's... good background role, but. Yeah, he's Julian Barrett's with one of the main characters. Noel's his roommate. He's like a background character. Roommate. And Julian Barrett works at a like a, a trendy magazine. And Dan Ashcroft? Adcroft? Dan Ashcroft is Dan Ashcroft. Name. He hates everything. Ben Wishaw plays like this guy who's just like this. Pingu. Pingu. His name is Pingu and he's really timid. At one point, Dan falls out a window. He and throws then... himself out the window. He does... Oh wait, he throws himself out the window. Yeah, he just goes, how shut he up. Es- how he escapes an awkward situation. Oh my god, I have to watch this. I have to find it's this. It's so weird. And then Ben Wishaw's just like, oh, don't worry. He'll be fine. He fell on his thumbs. There's no bones in your thumbs. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's a... It's a truly weird it's so weird it's weird some parts are very upsetting it's it's a lot which i mean i think is kind of typical british british yeah especially absurd especially around that era Mm -hmm. because it was around the same time as like as like mighty boosh and it crowd and black books 
Okay. I love black books. Oh my God. So like it was, a, I feel like there was a definite trend of just weird surrealist, sometimes <laughs> extremely upsetting British humor mm-hmm. around that time. And, and Nathan Barley definitely falls into that. I will definitely have to give that a watch though. Cause I love everything that Ben Washaw does. Like the, the titular character is a piece of shit and you hate him. Yeah. That's but, Nathan Barley. Cause yeah, Nathan, Nathan Barley is an extreme fuck boy. Okay. But Dan Ashcroft is amazing. We'll look up. It's pretty bleak. It uh, definitely- British. It's very British. I when we haven't watched in like ten years. I'm sure it has very inappropriate jokes, like all British things from that era. Oh yeah, still... like there's even like Mighty Boosh. There's stuff that you're like looking back on. It, you're, you're like, like that, that aged very poorly and was no. not not yeah. great days. Yeah, even Miranda has things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just the the unfortunate thing of the British humor scene is there's just some some stuff that just don't age well. Don't age well. Yeah, British humor <laughs> a lot of times just walks right up to racism quite frequently racism transphobia yep anyway all right so it's time to fall down the swirling green vortex that is once upon a timeline so the beginning of the flashbacks in this episode directly follow those of season one episode 19 the return where we first see rumpelstiltskin let go of Bay's hand and refuse to go down the portal to the land without magic with him and in this episode, we see Bay immediately after his arrival in London. We then know that Bay lives on the streets for about six months and then stays with the Darlings for at least a few weeks, if not more. Once Bay sacrifices himself to save the Darling children, he finds himself in the sea off the coast of Neverland and is rescued by Captain Hook. Now we know Hook himself first heads to Neverland after the events of season one, episode four, The Crocodile, so we know that the events in the crocodile all take place while Balefire is living in London. Following this episode would be episode five, that still small voice, although it's safe to assume quite a bit of time passes between this one and episode five, that still small voice. I actually double checked the timeline on the Once Upon a Time wiki for the first time ever for this segment to confirm that the next one in the timeline would be that still small voice. And I was correct. It was. So, yay. Yay. Sharesy Feelsies, our segment where each narrator shares something they're loving this week. Our listeners are probably getting sick of me talking about wedding stuff, but whatever. They can deal with it for two more months. We went to Disney Fairytale Wedding Showcase on Sunday to see our venue and reception area all prettied up and get a chance to actually meet and talk to our vendors in person because we've had to do basically everything remote because, you know, the world. And it was really nice and everyone was so sweet and it was a really good way to get hyped and feel like the Dane thing is actually finally happening after it being put off for two years and four different dates. Yeah, it was so much fun. I feel bad because I didn't do that because I was like, oh, they're probably getting tired of it, but I'm glad you did it. I know. I said something nice and sappy and I know (laughs) you were just like TV. No, that's good. Shame on you. Oh, no, that was my favorite thing too. But my second favorite. You can't take it back. I know where Rude. I stand. Now, 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 now. You love now. Jonathan Rude. Van Ness more than you love me. Rude. I haven't even said mine yet. Anyways, <laughs> if I was... Way to bury the lead, Lynn. <laughs> I get to. I'm being petulant. You are being petulant. I know. I was actually going to... Not the wedding expo, but the tasting, because that was so much fun to actually do our tasting in person. I want to know what kind of cake I'm looking forward to. God damn it. Are we sharing? Are we sharing, Lynn? Are we, we sharing are if you cake? cut it out of the episode. I will cut it now so no one hears our secret cake. So mine was 
that we've been watching Netflix's Queer Eye from the beginning because I needed those warm fuzzies of the Fab Five because they make me feel like everything is going to be all right. I felt like... (laughs) going to see our wedding venue and getting hype about our wedding would have maybe given you warm fuzzies and made you feel like things were oh my god God. but but what the fuck do i know oh my god (laughs) calm down calm down down. you know that that is her she's trying to make it peppy for the show because it would be boring if you both keep having the same things exactly i was like i you feel like i haven't tasting done... this is true yeah looking forward to tasting was my thing for last week yeah but then you could have been like we did the tasting i just wanted to give a media wreck i thought it was uh... i accept this i accept this <laughs> it's fine i thought it was better podcast i don't know it's fine it's not fine it's fine anyway chell what do you like <laughs> <laughs> well as Elisa sobs in the corner, uh, I got to hang out with my bestie this weekend. Shout out to Ariana. Hello. And we went to a picnic at Griffith Park with the Queer Folk Social Club, which I just recently joined. Shout out to my queerdos. Ariana and I watched a bunch of blazingly dumb Star Trek The Next Generation parody edits and Beverly Hills Cop and ate homemade brisket. And then we went on a lovely garden stroll on Sunday and are finally those old bitches sitting on a park bench like in the Simon and Garfunkel song. It's great. I am but a simple witch. Give me a patch of sunshine and a garden to sit in and a queer social club and call me a happy lady. That's very cute. Yeah, that sounds nice. Thank you. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, the inhabitants of Storybrooke brace themselves for the end when Greg and Tamara detonate the trigger Regina had placed within the curse. Meanwhile, back in the Neverland of the past, Hook discovers his connection to a young bay after he rescues him from the sea and soon realizes that the Lost Boys are in hot pursuit of the young lad. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, trust your bay, unless your bay is Tamara. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. To see the Palace of Westminster as Big Bull tolls the time. You said Big Bull. Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) It was very funny. (laughs) I was doing so well. You You were. were. You You were were. doing really great until that last sentence.